and welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. Thanks so much for tuning in, coming back to the show. First time listeners finding the show, welcome aboard. Always happy to have you. Please do check out Counterpunch Plus. That's how you support Counterpunch. That's how you keep the lights on. That's how you get access to a ton of exclusive content. There are great columns in there. All of the things that used to be in the print magazine are there. Exclusive articles from some of our best known and not so well known contributors. There is really, really top notch excellent stuff in the counterpunch plus section please get your subscription get access to that tell your friends counterpunch has been around for years and years we plan to be around for a lot more years and of course we do depend on your support please do consider that give it as a gift give it as a gift to yourself whatever you got to do so um okay i want to take this week's uh little time slot for our episode and i want to dedicate it to an individual who i have a great amount of respect and admiration for. He just passed away uh, a couple of days ago, I believe. We just got the news yesterday. I'm recording on June 28th, the passing at the age of 91 of the great former Senator Mike Gravel. Uh, I consider Mike a friend. I chatted with him, uh, well, a number of times. Uh, He was always so sweet to me, always just the nicest, most generous person and really understood the world and really understood America and understood how the empire came to be, how it exerted its influence and how we had to wrest control away from the ruling class. This is somebody who served in Congress for, I believe, 12, 13 years, 12 years, I believe. And he really was unlike anybody I'd ever met. Um, I remember the first time that I spoke to him, I was just blown away by talking to the man who absolutely eviscerated Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Joe Biden on stage during the Democratic debates in 2008. Um, I was already in my early 20s. I was very much anti-Obama, anti-Clinton, very much kind of on the radical left already at that point, had very little hope that anything of use ever would come out of a democratic debate and here comes this grandpa to absolutely light a fire and totally and completely undermine discredit and absolutely eviscerate every major candidate on the stage including the man who would go on to be president barack obama Uh, mike gravel had principles mike gravel stood for peace he stood for justice he was a great guy Uh, No matter what anybody might say about him, no matter his kookiness or any of that other stuff that people want to trot out there, this was the real deal. Here was a real guy who understood what it is that we're all fighting for. So with that, um, I'm going to take this week's episode and dedicate it to Mike Gravel and, uh, of course, to his family, to his children, grandchildren, everybody else that knew him and loved him. Uh, You're about to listen to uh, about a 12-minute excerpt of my interview with Mike Gravel in um, March of 2013. Interestingly, I chatted with Mike for the first time on my on one of my old podcasts uh, in about, I think it was about 24, 48 hours after the death of Hugo Chavez. So this was really kind of a momentous uh, uh, turning point in our recent history, especially for those of us who call ourselves socialists and anti-imperialists and the like. And uh, I was lucky enough to be able to sit down with Mike Gravel to talk about it, to talk about Hugo Chavez, to talk about his legacy, U.S. imperialism in Latin America. This was only about 10 minutes or so of our conversation. This is now, I guess, officially a lost episode uh, in my uh, in my oeuvre uh, because I don't know where the rest of the interview is. But I do have the first 10 minutes. And so do enjoy that. And uh, at some point, if I can find the rest of this lost episode on one of my old 
hard drives or something, maybe I will uh, be able to republish that. But without further ado, my interview with Mike Gravel in March of 2013, following the death of Hugo Chavez. Rest in peace to Mike. Enjoy. My name is Eric Dreitzer, and um, although I say it when I introduce my guests quite often, it truly is an honor and a privilege to have the conversation that I'm about to have with former Senator Mike Gravel. Uh, I'm sure many of you know uh, Senator Gravel either from his uh, campaign for president in 2008 for his historic contributions to uh, truth and transparency with the Pentagon Papers in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, however, you may know him i'm sure you are a fan so with all of that being said mike Ravel, welcome to the reality principle thank you for having me eric and uh not it may be an honor for you but it's a pleasure for me because i i know your thinking and your work and i really appreciate it oh thank you so much well um i have so many things that i want to cover but i suppose we really have to lead off with the breaking news that really has come across the uh the the news wires in the last hour or so that is the sad news of uh president chavez's death down in venezuela so uh let's just begin with that point um i want to get your take on uh hugo chavez his death and what it means for venezuela and for the world well, I think it's going to be uh, quite an impact on uh, the uh, political community of Venezuela since he was so popular, and he was uh, really such an unusual leader. Uh, and uh, you may recall that at one point the United States tried to overthrow him uh, through the CIA on a weekend, which did not succeed, and his popularity became ever stronger. He's used very much of a, uh, a socialist approach uh, to, uh, to, the, to the assets of the community that would benefit the individual citizens. For that, he's loved. He really, really did care about ordinary people. Now, will that change uh, with uh, a new, new president? Uh, that remains to be seen. But I think that from a noteworthy point of view, he was a global leader in the real sense of the word and brought about the independence of Venezuela from the United States control or influence. Uh, he, uh, he, he was just an unusual leader, uh, and uh, he is much loved within um, Venezuela, though he's reviled in some quarters of the American leadership. You know, I think that you're touching on something very important, and it it is about how other people, particularly poor and working class people, view uh, President Chavez. And I think the further point that we should make or that we should sort of illustrate is the fact that Chavez uh, is not merely a singular figure. Chavez is symbolic of a much larger trend throughout Latin America, something that we see in Ecuador with President Correa or in Bolivia with Morales or in Nicaragua or elsewhere. He represents this trend not just towards socialism, but an anti-imperialist posture, one that looks at Latin America as it actually an independent region, not simply the backyard of the United States. That's quite correct. And when you say anti-imperialist, 
When I was referring to socialists, I wasn't referring to socialism in the conventional uh, mm-hmm. classic sense. Uh, it was a it was a statement to underscore the fact that resources of the country in question were primarily at the disposal and for the benefit of the people of that country, mm-hmm. whether in uh, Venezuela or in other parts of the world. Uh, that, of correct. course, flies in the face of, of unbridled capitalism, and that's where he was sort of a bait and wash to the American leadership. But keep in mind, all during this conflict that we had with uh, Chavez, uh, Venezuela was the second largest uh, exporter of oil to the United States. So it didn't impair uh, the economic structure that had been brought about, uh, but it did impair any political uh, alignment with the, the American leadership. That's right. You know, there's a phrase that I have no idea whether I actually made it up or whether I subconsciously stole it from somebody else. But, you know, I always, in thinking about Chavez or Morales or Correa or any of them, um, I think of the phrase that uh, I, I think to some degree was their mantra, and that is that natural resources are national resources. These are not simply uh, um, resources to be exploited for the profits of multinational corporations, that they actually belong to the people and should serve the interests of the people. I think that that really is the bedrock of what Chavez felt about the oil and about everything else, and I think that that is what forms the bedrock of this new form of socialism that you see throughout Latin America. And, uh, and Chavez's passing will have will punctuate uh, the success of that formula in in South America, but I don't think uh, we'll see a return to the days of uh, colonial exploitation. I use the word colonial not in the classic sense, but in the present sense where corporations control the world, and uh, and this is thwarted by individual efforts uh, by people like Chavez and others to make their nations independent economically in a world controlled by corporate interest. That's right. And, you know, Chavez, one of the other things that Chavez did that is so remarkable is that he took on entrenched power in his own country, powers which had been entrenched literally for centuries, uh, the legacy of colonialism and that upper aristocratic class in Venezuela, which seemed so immutable and so inert. And really, he was able to uh, take power away from them, delegitimize them and create a state that was far closer to what we traditionally think of as democracy very much so and and of course <clears throat> still within the mode of representative government as opposed to uh, the, the people actually being in power to make uh, legislative decisions that's one of the legacies that is going to come under assault for Chavez because it it still is representative government and who knows uh, what manipulations can take place in the future to manipulate the people into accepting uh, tyrants or accepting policies that are not in their best interest. We see this happening in the United States. Mm-hmm. So a little wonder that it, won't, that it will be a problem in other countries. That's right. And I think that that was one of the things that Chavez and the Chavista movement more generally attempted to uh, embed within the, within the foundations of the new Venezuela. This was something that was built in to the new constitution, something that became sort of this uh, foundation that was 
institutionalized, and the hope is that it was able to be institutionalized enough that it will uh, persevere well beyond his death. Yeah, and I, and I think it will. I think it will. Uh, people, uh, we say people have short memories, but uh, uh, with what Chavez accomplished uh, in Venezuela, uh, short memories will not uh, dislodge that. I, I, I hope, I, I agree with you, and I hope that is absolutely true. But I do want to turn to other important uh, uh, issues. So before we turn to all of that, I want to just give a little bit of your background to some listeners who might be a little bit unfamiliar with you. You were, of course, a senator from the state of Alaska from 1969 to 1981. Um, and that tenure in, in Congress, I think you're remembered for many important positions that you took, uh, and perhaps most memorably, arguing to end the draft for the Vietnam War and putting the Pentagon Papers into the public record. Um, I, I mention all of this because I want to get a sense of your formative experiences that brought you into the political arena and perhaps most significantly, what did you learn about the reality of government while you were there as opposed to the mythology that you were taught? Well, you, you put your finger right on it. The reality nowhere measures up to the theory uh, that we have, uh, we 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 call our countries democracies. Well, in point of fact, they're not democracies; they're representative governments. And the success of representative government, uh, as we went from uh, as we went from tyranny and uh, monarchical systems, uh, it was an easy take to transfer to representative government because the people who were in power under the earlier structure of government, retained their power uh, within representative government. And so we have not seen any fundamental change in human governance uh, since we came out of the Age of Enlightenment. And, and that's unfortunate because the central power of government is lawmaking. And whether it's laws made by a king, and of course under the monarchical system, uh, only kings could make laws. The uh, parliaments they had would uh, dispose of those laws in sort of a rubber stamp fashion. Uh, but uh, but as we see those parliaments develop, we see them develop into what is a full-fledged uh, form of representative government. The reason why the American Constitution was copied so extensively is because it did not dis disrupt that format. In other words, the people who controlled society at the time were able to turn themselves with the elections into, quote, what we call democracies, and uh, continue to maintain that power. We see that in the United States today, where essentially the country is controlled, uh, owned lock, stock, and barrel by Wall Street, uh, the military-industrial complex, uh, and, of course, the globalization of the military-industrial complex with NATO and the fact that the corporate, global corporations control the world uh, society as we know it. You've heard the cliché, oh, we, you know, it's terrible, we're going to have a, a, a world government uh, and it's going to be liberal and all of that. Well, we have a world government right now, and it's corporate control uh, of the world economy. There's a study out of Switzerland that indicated that uh, that sixty percent of the wealth of the world was owned by in the interlocking directorate of thirteen hundred corporations. 
60% of the wealth was in the hands of these corporations, which are primarily bankers. That was my conversation with Mike Gravel in March of 2013. Again, Mike just passed the other day at the age of 91. Uh, if you haven't, please do, please, please do go on YouTube, look up his 2008 presidential debate performance. Uh, it is the stuff of legend. It is the reason why all the kids were clamoring for Gravel in 2020. It is the reason why we can remember this man as somebody who took a stand against all of these bastards, every single one of them. Rest in peace, Mike.